I hope that all of you took my advice and read the entire book of James at least once this past week. As we go through this incredible book, this Proverbs, if you will, of the New Testament, each time I read it, and I read it about twice every week, uh, in preparation for and in prayer for these series of messages, new things keep popping out. This is one of the most practical books you'll ever read in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Testament, the Greek scriptures. And this morning we're going to be looking at James chapter 1 as we begin the series after the introduction last week. James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And the title of the message this morning is called The Test of Your Faith. The Test of Your Faith. Would you stand with me please as I read the word of God. Jacob, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or tests, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that when it withers the grass, its flower fails, falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. You may be seated. Life has a way of smacking you in the face, doesn't it? Or knocking you down. Or testing your faith. And the temptations of this world are thrown at us from more directions than we can count. Television. Advertisements. Peer pressure. Needs. Maybe they're needs. Needs for more money. More power. More influence more things, 
more of what the devil has to offer. And none of us are immune to these pressures and these tests and these temptations of life. And yet, Jacob, in this letter, tells us to be joyous when we are bombarded with the tests and trials and temptations of life. Why? Because it allows us, my dear ones, to properly answer the following question, which is point number one. Do you have an anchor? Do you have an anchor? Follow along with me as I read again verse by verse and search through verses 2 through 8. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, unfortunately, no English translation is 100% accurate. And I wish I knew Greek. The only thing I know in Greek is, there you go. Oh, you haven't seen the movie, right? There you go. But I do have a good Bible that gives me lots of etymology or word studies of the Greek, and I'm going to try to share some of that with you this morning as we go through these verses. My brethren, Jacob here is talking to the 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad in the midst also of Gentile believers. And he tells them that they are to be joyous when they fall into various And the word trials is really not the word to be used here. The Greek here is fall into various tests. Tests. Count it all joy. Yay! The rent's due next week and I got $10 in the bank account. Yay! Yay! I got to get to work next week and the alternator's gone in the car and I don't have any money to fix it. Yay! Yay, someone's offered me money for something that I don't really do, but they promised if I'd go along with them, it would be to my advantage. Yay? Why should we count it all joy? Knowing, he says, that the testing of our faith produces patience. Patience. We have a wonderful group here from Converge Ministries who are going to Israel the first week in December. I'm going to teach you guys a Hebrew word right now. So say it after me. The rest of you can say it also. Savlanut. One more. Savlanut. Means patience. That's the first word I learned when our family moved to Israel. Patience. Because we don't live on our timetable. We live on his timetable. And if there's something that's needed in our lives, he will provide it in his way, by his strength, by his word, according to his promise, in his time. But we get antsy, don't we? You ever notice that God is an 11th hour God? It's not fair. But who said life is fair? I think sometimes he's an 11th hour God to help us with our patience. 
Because if we know for sure that his word is his word and his promise and his, is his promise and that he will do what he said he will do, it doesn't matter if it's 1159. It will come to pass if it's in his will for our lives. The testing of our faith produces savlanut, produces patience. But, Jacob continues, let patience have its perfect work. Can I help you out? Do you need a hand? Can we speed this along? No, patience, in order to have its perfect work, has to be 100% dependency on the God of the universe. And when you think of it, if he created everything out of nothing by the mere speaking of his word, certainly he can take care of my mortgage. Certainly he can take care of my alternator. Certainly he can turn me away from the temptation to do what I shouldn't do just so I can have the money in my pocket that I think I need to pay for whatever I have to pay for. Let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The perfection here doesn't mean that you're a goody-goody. The perfection here means that you're perfecting your faith to rely on the one that is reliable, to perfect your faith, and to be complete, fully absorbed in the awesomeness of God, fully understanding that God provides and lacking nothing. He provides for us. He says he will provide for us. He says we will lack nothing. If our faith has its perfect ending in patience and our patience becomes perfect and complete, then we do not lack anything for the main reason that we have him and that's really all we need. If any of you lacks wisdom, when I used to read this, this is why I'm so excited about going through this book. I used to think it was talking about wisdom in general. And it kind of is. But what are the three most important things you have to look at when you're interpreting scripture? Context, context, and context. The wisdom here is the wisdom that you need in order to deny temptations and to deny tests. It's the wisdom that says, God, my flesh wants me to go here, but I need your advice. I need your wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And oh, by the way, when you ask God for wisdom, you don't have to say, thee and thou. God understands your y'alls and your youans and usans. Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally. You ever heard the phrase overflowing cups? And without reproach, without having to explain, without having to defend, without having to give an explanation. Do you think God doesn't know what's going on? And it will be given to him. We're told that God gives us the desires of our heart. Let me tell you what that does not mean. It does not mean that I decide what my desire is and God gives it to me. No. God gives us the desires of our heart. And when we look to him for wisdom, when we seek his counsel, 
when we listen to the discernment and the teaching of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, his desires then become our desires. And if he wants us to have them, guess what? It's in my pocket. It's in my pocket. But let him ask in faith. In faith. It's not a question of, do you think that you could? No, it's a question of, you are faithful to provide for everything that I need. Let him ask in faith, without doubting, I wonder if God would do this for me. Why? Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind without an anchor. Without an anchor. You see, the wind drives the waves. The waves make ripples. The ripples make the boat go back and forth. And we're in the boat. But if the boat has an anchor, and the anchor is our faith, that we don't drift with the troubles. The troubles go where they need to go. But we stay firm in the anchor of God and his blessing and his protection and his provision. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, wishy-washy, wavering in his faith, unstable in all his ways. It's pretty weird in my life. Please notice that I didn't say my life is pretty weird. It's, <laughs> it's been pretty weird in my life that I am never prepared for the call that God has on me at the time that he calls me. Anybody else like that? And it took me years, maybe even decades, to realize that I didn't need to be prepared for it at the moment that he called me. I just had to be available for his preparation. If he's the anchor, he's the teacher. If he's the teacher, he's the discerner. If he's the discerner, he's the one who is able to equip. And if we understand that, then we're able to even walk out of the boat into the water and forget about the waves being driven by the wind. We can walk on it until we do what? Take our eyes off of him. We need to have an anchor. Do you have an anchor? On my first few readings of this next section of Jacob, I wondered what verses 9 to 11 had to do with the rest of the chapter. It almost seems as if um, Jacob had a prehistoric computer with WordPerfect on it, and he cut and pasted this from another one of his letters into the middle of this letter. I mean, it simply dawned on me, however, as I read it again these past weeks, and read it in the context of the subject matter, the context of texts, tests and trials and faith, that it started to make sense. You see, too many, or rather T-O-O, too many people... Oh, I'm sorry. That's T-O many. Too many people. To many people, riches and the desires of them presents the greatest devilish test of all. Riches 
and the desire of riches presents the greatest devilish test of all. Which brings me to point number two, the futility of riches. The futility of riches. Follow along with me, verses 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. The lowly brother here refers to the brother who doesn't have lots of stuff, who doesn't have lots of material goods. It's not talking about spiritual loneliness. It's talking about material lowliness. But let him glory in his exaltation. What's his exaltation? The fact that he knows who his anchor is. The fact that he knows how to push away the tests of life. The fact that he knows how to take those trials and turn them into joyous occasions to prove his faith and to become complete. But the rich in his humiliation. Why will the rich be humiliated? You can't take it with you when you go. And you know, the, the, ins- the life insurance statistics in the United States, actually the life insurance t- statistics they have proven recently, in the entire world are exactly the same for everybody. One life per person per lifetime. And you can't take it with you. No matter how much you have, you can't take it with you. Just like a flower of the field, those material things will pass away. And whatever that rich person thinks he or she has from the possession of those material things, that will pass away as well. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that it withers the grass, the flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. The light of the Son of God shines on everybody at one time or another. You either respond to the light and be drawn to it, or you're repelled by the light and you flee from it. But the light comes just the same. And when that light comes... It withers all the riches that you have collected. When that light comes, all those riches fail and fall, just like a flower that has no water. And their beautiful appearance, all the niceties that you think you've surrounded yourself with, they're not so nice anymore when that final judgment comes. So the rich man also will fade away In his pursuits. Please notice it doesn't say the rich man will fade away. I know a lot of rich people who are awfully, awfully holy and in love with their God. And they give a whole bunch of money. And you know what? God keeps giving them money so they can keep giving other people money. It just kind of works that way. The rich man will fail and fade away in his or her pursuits. Dear ones, we need to be kingdom-oriented. We need to be kingdom-focused. The things that we do, the things that we say, the witness that we are, has to be kingdom-oriented and not materially-oriented. There is futility in the seeking of riches. But we're all tempted, aren't we? In some way, shape, or form. Which leads me to point number three. 
Temptation is not of God. Temptation is not of God. Let's look at verses 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man. Anybody here doesn't want to be blessed? Go ahead and sneeze. I'll bless you right now. God bless you. Bless the man who endures, who sees his way through temptation, trials, tests. Tests are not bad. Tests are just tests. For when he has been approved, in other words, when he has been recognized by his survival of the fiery furnace experience of testing and trials, he will receive the crown of life. By the way, the life here in the Greek is zoe life. It's spiritual life. Which the Lord has promised, kind of runs right along your uh, drosh this morning, Dana, doesn't it? By the way, it is great to see you. Let me remind you again, and in the Hebrew, the biblical Hebrew, there is no word for promise. Whenever it says God promised, it's Devar Adonai, the word of the Lord. That's his promise. His yes is his yes. The crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. To those who love him. Sometimes amazes me how somebody could not love God. It amazes me how the gifts that God gives, the provision that he provides, the discernment that he dispenses, the word that he's given us both literally on paper and also bodily in his son, how you could not love him. But eyes are blind, ears are deaf, hearts are hard, and blinders are on the eyes of not just many Jewish people, but many in the world. The crown of life is promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. I don't know how to say this without getting too dramatic. Satan is not under every rock or behind every tree. And God doesn't forcefully tempt us to see if we really love him. Dear ones, the world tempts us. That's the world we live in. It's dark, it's dead, it's dying, it's corrupt. He comes, but God didn't make it that way. Humanity made it that way. And blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For two reasons. Number one, God cannot be tempted. And notice the phrase, by evil, because temptation is of the evil one. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. I hear sometimes, you know, people get in a rough situation 
for whatever consequence or reason. And then they say automatically, well, God must have a purpose in this. Yes, he does have a purpose in this, but he didn't cause the temptation. He wants you to give you a purpose as you get through the temptation and get through the test. But each one is tempted. Did you notice that is? When he is drawn away, drawn away from the right way, by what? His desires and is enticed. Started back with the Adams family. And Eve was enticed, wasn't she? Not just by the beauty of the fruit. Not just by the fragrance of the fruit. Not just perhaps by the perceived taste of the fruit. But by the thought. that she might know things like God knows things. And she was enticed. And she ate. And she broke the one rule God gave to she and her husband. And he ate. And the rest of us have suffered the consequences ever since. And then what happens is that When desire is conceived, I love the picture here. It's the picture of birth. You see, desire is not conceived until it is agreed with. When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Little baby sin. And sin, when it's full grown... You see, the little baby sin, we're all born with it. The little baby sin doesn't have to grow up. The little baby sin can be taken care of by repentance and admission and believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of God's only Son to pay for that sin. But when that doesn't happen, then the sin becomes full-grown and it gives birth to... You ever heard that phrase and and thought, what a weird phrase. Birth to death. And that's a final death. That's an eternal death. That's a a death and life without God. That's a death that was prophesied in the Hebrew scriptures, a death that was described in the New Testament scriptures, and death that is real in the lives of everyone on this earth. When it's full-grown, full-grown, it brings forth death. And point number four, all good things are from above. All good things are from above. Follow along with me in the last three verses, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Who's the deceiver? Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I don't know about you, but I wish that I would say every perfect gift is from above. I like perfect better than good. You know what I mean? 
Good's like an 87 on my English test. <laughs> Perfect's 100. I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to get 87 to try harder for the next one. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, the Father of illumination, the Father of brilliance, the Father of warm love, the Father in whom there is no darkness, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow. Not only do we have an anchor in our faith, but there's no variation in the light. It doesn't get dimmer sometimes, guys. God's light is God's light. That's all you have to say about it. It's never diminished. It's never lessened. It never goes through power surges. Pepco has no control over it. It has no variation or no shadow. It's anchored, no turning. It's always after us, lighting our path. And of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, the logos of truth. The word of truth. What are you supposed to do with a word? Hear it. What if you're alone with the Bible? Read it. And let it talk to you so you can hear it. There are too many people who call themselves believers that don't spend any time in the Word of God. And as I spoke about it a couple of months ago, the Word of God is bread, the Word of God is drink, and the Word of God is spiritual breath. And just like you can't live without food for 40 days or you become sick, I don't think you can live without spiritual food for very long either. And just like you can't go without water for more than about week, a week or you become dehydrated, you can't go without the word for a while before you become spiritually dehydrated. And just like the word or the breath that we breathe in the air gives us life and you can't really go without it for more than a couple minutes. The very spirit of God is the breath of God. We can't live without him either. He brought us forth by the word of truth, the word of unveiled reality, the word of his gloriousness, the word of his holiness, the word of his love, and the word of his coming son who has come once and will come again. Amen? Amen. Amen. That we may be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, of his creation. First fruits of his creation. Do you know what first fruits lead to? More fruits. Do you know that being a first fruit just might be being a witness? One of the first maybe in your family, one of the first maybe in your neighborhood, one of the first maybe in your school, one of the first maybe in your job. 
to be a witness to those who haven't borne good fruit yet. Our witness is our strength. Our witness is our purpose. Our witness is our first fruit to all creation. That we might be used by the God of the universe to hasten his kingdom. That his son might come again soon, even in our lifetime. And so just as I had four points, I have four concluding statements this morning. Number one, temptation, temptations and tests are reality. But we know who the tempter is. Number two, fleshly accomplishments produce fleshly fruit. And fleshly fruit has no root or anchor. Third, the fruit of the flesh is sin and death. And fourth, our faith through the trials of life is a powerful witness to those around us. Let's pray. Avinu Malkenu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father and our King in heaven, I will admit to you, Lord God, in the front of brothers and sisters, I don't like trials. And I don't like tests. But I like you. I love you. I love how you see me through stuff when I just rely on you. I love how as I get more and more mature, yeah, I know it's really old, but I like the word mature better. As I get more and more mature, I rely more and more on you, and I face trials with a smile on my face and a prayer in my heart, knowing that the answer is there if I'm willing to accept it in faith. And so for my brothers and sisters here this morning, when I pray that their faith would be increased, Lord, I'm not asking you to bring more trials upon them, more tests upon them, but I'm asking, Lord, that our dependence on you will grow to be a joyous thing that we might look at the circumstances of life differently and even look at you differently. And when you come through, When you come through, as you always do, our testimony would be a witness to others that they might enjoy the joyousness of trials by your faithfulness. And this I pray, Lord, in the name of your faithful Son, Yeshua. And let us all say, Amen.